Hi there, my name is Anna Michelle Gomu and you are listening to the podcast where we take our time to seek God in His Word each day. We're currently on a Bible in your challenge reading through the entire Bible in 365 days from Genesis to Revelations. And I'm glad you decided to join us today because it's gonna be great. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay listening. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Floodcast. Today is day 182 of our Bible in Year Challenge. And like I stated in the last episode, today we're joined by an amazing guest, Cheryl Johnson. She is here with us. Cheryl, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite. All right, Cheryl, just to start things off on a good note, can you please tell us a little about yourself? My In my professional career, which I'm somewhat retired from. I'm an instructional designer. I write training, especially for large corporations. Um, But thank goodness I'm getting to retire from that. And in the last year or two, I've written a book on faith and I'm teaching um, a Bible study class here in the United States. That that sounds amazing. So I did reach out to Cheryl and I did notify her that we were on a Bible in your challenge. So today we are looking through the books Second Kings, Micah, and also Psalms. But first of all, from Second Kings chapter 16, just to give a quick summary, we saw or read the story of King Ahaz of Judah, who was a king that did not quite follow God's commands. He did what was evil in the sight of God. Um, he performed all of these pagan offerings and sacrifices, even sacrificing his own son. Um, as burnt offering to the idols. And then we're told that he was attacked, the nation of Judah was attacked by the rulers of Syria and of Israel. And even during those moments, he did not seek help from God. He sought help from another pagan nation, the Assyrians. And then he goes ahead to build a new altar for his pagan offerings and sacrifices, and then uses all of the temple um, all of the temple equipments, all of the temples, um, tools that were used to worship God, he uses all of them, converts that to be used for his own pagan offerings and sacrifices. And this is this is a very quick 360 degree turn from what his father Jotham did, because we we're told that Jotham was a pretty good king. But then here comes King Ahaz and things just go very south from here. So um Cheryl, what do you think about this? Oh I think it's very interesting. Um it did I find it, especially in Old Testament um, times, that, you know, the father may have been honored God and and done what he'd asked. But then when you get to the son or, or, you know, further down the line, they have a tendency to kind of um, stray a little bit. And I wonder if part of that isn't because, you know, when things are going really good, a lot of people don't need God, but when, you know, things get challenging, that's a lot of people turn to God more often during challenging times than the good times. That's true. I think our hearts are more inclined to comfort times. I think that just stems from like the foundation, like why or who do we see God as? You know, so many people just see God as their wish maker. You know, if they want to get something done quickly or want to get something done their way, then they go to God. And then when they reach like a certain point in their lives where all of those things have already been provided and like they're in a time of comfort, they just don't see a need for God anymore. And yeah, that that is something we've definitely been seeing over and over again. I do also think um, that why Ahaz was so different from his father Jotham 
was because we're told that while Jotham, who is his father, was a pretty good king, he does not succeed in destroying all of the other pagan places of worship. And this is one of the major instructions that God always gives the Israelites, even why, why, when they were entering the promised land, right? Uh, God instructed through Moses, also through Joshua, that when they were entering the promised land, they should kind of wipe everything out on the clean slate. I remember having to read that and having to explain that this wasn't because God loved killings and murders and genocide, but this was for a good reason. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty hard section to read. Uh, but this was for a good reason because we realized that even the smallest and littlest of sin, even the littlest of temptations had such a great um, power to turn our hearts away from God. And every time we come to God in prayer, every time we have that new mindset to live a life consecrated for God, we are to cut every sin, every everything that does not belong to God from the roots. Because if we don't do that, then we give those things an opportunity to grow. You know, so while... Uh, Jotham was a good king. All of those pagan places were still in existence. They were still um, active. You had some people that still had to go there to worship all of those idols. And I think this just gave more room for other people to also follow in those worship and um, turn away from God. So I think that was one thing I got from that. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. So I think this is just like a huge wake up call for us. Sometimes we tend to focus more on like the major sins, you know, like murder or abortion and all of that. And then we kind of overlook like the little sins, like lies and like saying, you know, like those are things that we kind of normalize that we do pretty much every day. But every single sin has a tendency to draw hearts away from God. So we have to be very wary. And I think the devil kind of knows this. So he uses the little sins more because he knows that only those who are very careful, only those who are on their guard will be able to realize this trick. So I hope that we get more wise and we pray more concerning all of our littlest sins and temptations. And then another thing that I got from this is that Ahaz chose to worship in his own way because um, while we see that the Northern tribes of Israel, they were very far from God. They had gone astray since the time that the Israelites split. The people of Judah were more closer to God. They had kings that were good and walked with God. They had the commands and all of the ways that they should worship God, but Ahaz chose to be like the other people. We're told that it was after his visit to Assyria when he was going to seek for help that he came back and then he ordered that a new temple, a new altar rather, should be built because he wants to worship in his own way. He did not want to worship the way God had instructed. And this seems to be very much like us. Sometimes we like to do things our own way. This can this can be in different forms. Um, I think for me, I do remember a certain circumstance where I knew that the path I was going wasn't necessarily what God wanted for me. But at that time to me, it just felt like it was the best way. It felt like it was the best method. I just felt like that was the um, best thing that could happen at that time. And I remember that I was so stubborn. I did things my own way. And if, left to say that it fell flat on my face and it ended up in a disaster. And this can be like so many of us that we know what God wants. We know how he wants us to live our lives, but we want to do things our own way because we feel like our way is a better way. So what what advice would you kind of give to people um, like this, like struggling with this, struggling to surrender to God's own way of doing things? Well, I think um, as we're talking about Ahaz and his alliance with the Assyrian king, 
and his name, let's see, I always, Tiglath Pilliser, um, it kind of serves as a cautionary tale, you know, highlighting some of yeah. the dangers of compromising your faith. And this, to me, kind of st stuck out more than anything. When you seek alliances based on human power rather than relying on the strength and guidance of God, and it, if you don't mind, there's a little analogy that it made me think of when I was reading through it. Bear with me for just a minute here, but it's kind of in a story format. You know, it says one day as Remy, Remy was yeah. a little mouse. He was scurrying along the forest floor. He encountered a wide and treacherous river blocking his path. Remy knew that crossing the river on his own would be dangerous and a potentially deadly task. So he pondered his options, desperately seeking a solution to reach the other side. And that's kind of what King Ahaz yeah. did, was he, he was seeking worldly solutions to his problems. So suddenly, a snake named Silas slithered out from the nearby bushes, and Silas had a reputation for being cunning and persuasive, known for his ability to convince others to do his bidding. And spotting Remy's predicament, he approached him with a proposition. He said, Dear Remy, um, I can help you cross this mighty river safely. You see, I have the power to swim effortlessly through its currents. If you hop on my back, I can carry you to the other side. Eh, Remy was a little skeptical. He saw, but he did see the benefit. He's like, Oh, okay. After all, the snake's swimming abilities could provide, provide him with a swift and secure passage across the treacherous waters. So, overwhelmed by the desire to get to the other side, Remy agreed to his proposal. Well, as you can imagine, with a cautious leap, Remy jumped onto Silas's back, clutching tightly to the snake's scales. Together, they ventured into the river, and Silas gracefully maneuvering through the rushing waters as Remy marveled at the efficiency of the snake's swimming technique, feeling a sense of relief and gratitude. But as they made their way across the river, Remy noticed something concerning. Silas's eyes gleamed with a sinister glint, and his body seemed to tense with a predatory energy. It became apparent that the snake had not offered his assistance out of genuine goodwill, but instead had ulterior motives. And as I'm sure you can imagine, um, the snake decided that um, eating Remy was a better choice than, you know, taking him to the other side of the river and letting him go. So I think that's oftentimes we align ourselves just like Ahaz did with Tiglath Pileser. Um, yeah. And it leads to catastrophic events. I know in my own life, um, when I was, I don't know, in my 20s, I was married and my lifelong goal was to be a flight attendant. And uh, I wasn't really interested much in becoming a mother or any of that. I was married, but, you know, I was a career girl kind yeah. of thing. And I was able to secure my um, position as a flight attendant. But I remember, you know, it was just the first six months were just extremely difficult. And um, I won't go into all the details, but I remember sitting on the back row of church one Sunday. I actually had a Sunday off and could go to church. And I remember just kind of crying to myself and saying, you know, Heavenly Father, I've, I've, tr I've tried this my own way. I thought I knew this is what I wanted. You know, I thought I knew myself really well. And he said, no. He says, I think you, you know, you'd be better served. And you'll be happier if you'll become a mother. And so I, you know, in my desperation for looking for happiness, I agreed. And I still remember that all these mothers out there listening to this, I'm sure can relate, relate to this. 
the day yeah. my child was born, I was just overwhelmed. And I was like, oh, see, Heavenly Father knows me better than <laughs> I know myself. And that was really the turning point in my life where I was like, I need to trust Heavenly Father and his judgment, not my own, because yeah. not only does he know me better than I know myself, but he knows the, the path that's best for me to take. Yeah, so, so true. Uh, such an amazing story. I think like everything stems from trust. You know, sometimes we just feel like we know more. We feel like uh, we kind of know better than God, just to put it in that tense. Like most people would not agree directly that they know better than God or they are wiser than God. But our actions kind of portray that in the way we trust God. And God wants us to trust him because he is the only one that truly has our best intentions at heart. You know, at some point, Prophet Isaiah actually reaches out to Ahaz, not in today's readings. This is in, I think, Isaiah chapter 7. And then he says to Ahaz that the Lord tells him, um, ask me whatever you want, you know, and I will do it. I will provide it for you. And then Ahaz replies and says, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. And this kind of seems like a very honest or holy reply. You know, Ahaz doesn't want to bog God with his um, demands and requests. But this also reveals that Ahaz has already sought for help elsewhere, you know, with the Assyrians. This was when he was um, kind of uh, having the threat from the nation of Israel and Syria. And this is so much like so many of us that God is constantly offering his help to us every single day but we look for help elsewhere. And at the end of the day, we see that the Assyrians who helped Ahaz in this battle, at the end of the day, were like the major nation that destroyed the people of Judah. Like that is further down the line. When the prophecies come to pass, because of all the sins of the people of Judah, God uses the same Assyrians to destroy them. And I think this is like a major lesson because um, from the book of Proverbs, there's this amazing verse. I love this verse so much because he always <laughs> reminds me to trust God. And it says, there's a way or there's a path that seems right unto a man, but the end of it is destruction. And this happens so many times. So it is just a call for us to trust God more, for us to rely on his wisdom and on his love because he knows all and he knows what is best. I think that's what the one way to put it. So before we um, have a quick wrap on our reading for second kings i would like to ask you one last question so uh one of the biggest influences on the people of israel in the time that we're reading this is that they had all of these nations around them you know that had a different culture that had different beliefs that had different gods that they worshipped and this was a huge factor um because they kind of influenced the israelites into further worship away from god so for us now as christians how do we keep ourselves from being influenced by the popular anti-Christian culture around us? Well, I think it's really important. And, you know, here in the United States, there seems, and I, I honestly, it's everywhere, but because I live here, it's where I yeah. see it. Is, mm -hmm. you know, people are, they want to divide us up just kind of like they wanted to divide these, you know, kingdoms up and, and, and yeah. things is that, what I try to tell people is there's more that unites us than divides us. And if we can come to common a common understanding with people who may not think like us and who may not believe like us, but we have some common ground, then let's let's work with that. 
but where we don't have common ground, where we see things differently, and especially from a moral perspective, um, we don't have to embrace, I mean, you don't have to embrace someone else's immorality in order to, you know, yeah, to come together. And, and I mean, I have friends, personal friends who are not Christians, and they don't believe like me. Their their morals are totally different than mine. And yet we can still get along and be friends, but that they don't embrace mine and I don't embrace theirs. Um, of course, you know, I believe in God and I believe that his morals are the ones that will bring us the most happiness and joy. But I just, I think we'd, I don't think God would have put us down on, an, on a world or an earth where there's so much diversity and and in a good way and so many different types of people and so many different cultures and everything if he wanted us to all be the same but i do believe that as people come yeah. to see yeah. and my friends as they have come to see that this christian belief of mine does bring me happiness and even though it doesn't alleviate all the trials in my life I can have happiness through those trials. They're kind of like, oh, well, you know, maybe there is something to this Christian belief of yours. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, I think I think the key is being firm in your faith because I don't think it's possible to push down your faith on the entire world or the entire people that are not Christians. Uh, like you said, there's a reason. Because if God wanted every single person to be Christian all at once, it's definitely not um, beyond his limits. There is a reason why we're put here, um, why we're put with different people, with different beliefs, because we are kind of God's representatives here on earth. And so it is for us to have like a strong faith. And why, why doing that, we, we leave out our beliefs. We leave out our faith in the hopes that other people would get to come to know the truth and would... Um, get to accept the faith, you know, and know who God is and know his love. So thank you so much for that. That 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 was amazing. So um moving on to Micah chapters one to four. Um here uh, today Micah, the prophet Micah is speaking majorly about the sin of the Israelites and the people of Judah. And then he also prophesies their exile into Babylon, uh, their destruction by Assyria and also their renewal and redemption coming out of exile. So before we um, enter this, what are your first thoughts um, from these chapters? Well, uh, I believe that the Bible and, you know, others are also out there, you know, kind of warning us. Um, the prophecies exist, you know, and as we study yeah. prophecies in these last days, I do believe we're living in the last days and that Christ will come. You know, he's, it's prophesied in, in the Bible that he will come. And I believe he will. Um, but there's so there is so much idolatry. And we always, in the world we live in, um, idolatry is often looked at as laziness, which, you know, there is that. But idolatry to me is more, I worship my job. I worship money. I, you know, and rather than focusing on what's most True. important, you know, taking care of my family and, you know, um, serving the Lord and helping other people. Those are the things that I think the Lord wants us to focus on. He doesn't want us to have these idols that exist in the world today. That, that is so true. Like, I, I think I had to keep on 
repeating it all through that sometimes we feel very disconnected from these readings from the old testament because we're like well i'm not like them i don't have any idols i don't have any statues but the idols in our lives are quite different and even quite more more hard to recognize and notice because they are anything they can be anything that keeps us away from worshiping god the way we should idols are anything that we probably prioritize more or prioritize above god it could be literally anything our jobs our goals or ambitions anyways speaking about prophets and speaking about prophecies and punishments one very funny take i have heard from so many people is that um god is so loving that he would not send anybody to hell and i think this is a very funny take because in so many ways in so many parts of the bible we are warned about the last days. We're warned about judgment. But from Micah today in chapters um, 2, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, it describes the kind of people that don't believe God is capable of punishing them for their sins. Just to take some quotes, it says, Has the Lord lost his patience? Would he really do such things? These people want the kind of prophet who goes around full of lies and deceit and says, I prophesy that wine and liquor would flow for you. And these are the people that go to prophets that only talk about um, promised prosperity, promised success at work, promised bountifulness, but they don't emphasize on the really important things about eternity, about heaven or hell, about judgment. And I think th this um, just describes our system. This describes our society now. You know, everyone is just very closed to the true message of salvation because the true message the true good news is that we are all heading in the wrong direction we're all heading to judgment and death but then here comes Jesus who saves us from that and gives us another opportunity but now we see that most people are just more concerned about um, getting more money getting more stable financially getting a good home you know getting all of these material things and it's just, it just backs the question, like, where should our focus be? Where should our priorities be? Well, I heard something, you know, several years ago, and I really like this, you know. We live in a world where everybody wants to define things as good or evil. And there is good and evil, but there's also good, better, and best. The way I've looked at it in my life, it's a good thing, you know, that I had a job that allowed me to pay my bills and allowed me to, you know, live a comfortable life. It's better, I, the, when I'm making better choices, I, I don't prioritize my job, I prioritize my family and spending time with them and teaching them. And then there's the best things that we can do. And those that's loving the Lord and serving him. And I also, you know, when you're talking about judgment, I, <laughs> you know, that there is a heaven and a hell however you want to define it is is kind of up to you but or you know in the audience but I like to look at it as God isn't judging me and sending me to heaven or hell whichever way you look at it or however you view it yeah I am the one making choices and by my choices I am deciding where I'm going to go and it's also the other thing I look at is I look at my heavenly father like he like I look at my earthly father. My earthly father has passed away, but um, before he did, you know, my parents 
tried to teach me right from wrong. That meant that there was times when there was judgment, when I made bad choices. You know, there were consequences yeah. for those bad choices. And it, was, it wasn't because my parents were mean and wanted to punish me. It's because they loved me and they wanted me to enjoy a good life. And that's the way I look at Heavenly Father. He loves us and wants us to have a good life. And to do that, we need to make good choices and thank goodness for the atonement. Thank goodness for Jesus Christ, because it is through him when we do make bad choices that we can correct them and move on in a positive way. Very true. I, I, yeah, I think it's just taking responsibility for your own actions. You know, I was the one that chose this. One, one of my favorite preachers says this, um, that what happens in the afterlife is that we get what we choose. Like in this life, we have the opportunity to choose anything. We have the opportunity to choose God, to choose good. We also have the opportunity to choose evil, to choose anything besides God. And then what happens after this life is that whatever we've chosen in our lives here on earth is that we get to be with that thing. We get to have that thing at the end of our lives for eternity that is without end. So here on earth, if I choose God, then after my life here on earth, I get to be with God. I get to have the joy and the peace of being with God for the rest of eternity. But if I choose anything other than God, if I choose anything else, then I get what I choose in the afterlife. So so thank you so much. That, that is a perfect way to put it. And then the prophecy doesn't just speak only about judgment and about the exile of the people, but it also speaks about hope. In this way, it kind of reveals that God is still king. Through the judgment, God is king. Through the times of redemption, God is king. And this is just an amazing thing to take note because sometimes when we are in that moment of um, sadness, that moment of gloom, that moment of confusion, it might seem that maybe God isn't God anymore, or maybe he isn't present anymore, or it just seems that God isn't as powerful as I thought, or he's, he isn't just... He isn't as supreme as I thought. And sometimes our moments of sadness, our moments of uh, intense pain would make it seem that God has failed to be God. But this just kind of shows and reveals that God is still king. Even when it feels like the entire world is turning upside down and things are going wrong and there just seems to be no more good news anywhere, God is still king because our stories that, doesn't end here you know there is still hope for us there's still redemption there's still an, another opportunity to get it right yeah I, I do think it goes back to the atonement of Jesus Christ and it is through him and through his blood that we are saved and yeah. um, that's what allows us you know in our fallen state you know as we came to this earth and you know we knew God knew we knew we all knew we were going to make mistakes that was part of the plan, and that part of the plan was for there to be a Savior that would come and ultimately pay the price for our sins. Yes, we have to pay a very small price, um, but ultimately, the ultimate price is paid by him, and that does allow us to, you know, correct our mistakes, learn from them, and move forward, hopefully, <laughs> if, yeah. if we... If we do it right, that's the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Um, the hope is fulfilled in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus Christ. And it is so amazing because this hope isn't just reserved for only the Israelites or for only the Jews. It's open to every single person from every tribe, every race, every nation, and 
that is the good news. That that is pretty much why it's called the good news because it is good news, and yes. that yeah, that that is so amazing. So, um, moving finally to our last book from Psalms, it talks about the inescapable God, as I'd like to call it. You know, the psalmist here kind of describes God as being everywhere as being present everywhere he says if i look to the seas you're there if i look to the deepest of darkness you're there if i go up in the sky you're there if i turn left and right you're there and i think th- this is this psalm when i read it just gave me so much hope that god is with me and even while we're looking at these stories of the israelites is that even even when they sin so much even when they were so deep in their evil even when they were so deep in their idolatry is that God was still present with them. God was still guarding them. God was still protecting them. God was still so close to them that he longed for them to come back to him so that he could show them his love. And this just shows how strong God's love for us is that even while we were still sinners, as um, Paul would explain it, that while we were still sinners, God died for us. And so th- this is this is just amazing. It is something that I feel somebody out there would need to hear because sometimes we, it is good to, when we sin, right? It is good to feel repentant. It is good to acknowledge that our sins hurt God. Our sins are wrong and we should turn away from them. But the devil sometimes loves to take advantage of this and just makes us feel guilty. And this guilty is very harmful because it keeps us from enjoying the mercy of God. You know, so many times when I did something wrong, um, that was that was before anyways uh, when i did something wrong i would kind of view in that guilt and i would just feel so guilty about praying about opening my bible because i would be feeling like such a hypocrite and this is this is not the way god wants us to be i don't think god would want us to continue to brew in our guilt or in our sin because he keeps on reminding us that he has paid the price and then if we turn away from our sins with a heart that is repentant, he will wash away our sins and give us a clean slate. So I just feel this is something that someone out there needs to hear. If you feel like God has abandoned you because of your sinful ways or because of your um, decisions or because of the way you've been living your life, uh, I think that is a big lie because God is still ever present with you and he wants you to turn back to him as soon as possible. Yes, I agree. And I, you know, it's always nice to end on psalms or proverbs or something because those are always the the peaceful, calming kind of um, scriptures, yeah. especially in the Old Testament because the Old Testament can get pretty depressing sometimes. But <laughs> true. it's true. it's so true that, and I'm sure you've heard it said, you know, God doesn't leave us; we leave Him, and it, we leave Him in so many different ways. We can, you know consciously leave him and say I don't want anything to do with God anymore for whatever reason or I can say I'm too busy for God right now Um, I remember when I was at one point in my life when my kids were young and I was working you know two jobs and life was going crazy and I just said to my mom one day I said oh mom I just I can't feel you know Heavenly Father's love for me I can't feel it and she goes well that's because you're running too fast he can't catch you (laughs) and so I think you know there's multiple ways which we can leave God we can leave him you know because we're running too fast we can leave him because we're worshiping idols we're too busy focusing on the things of the world and not 
doing the kinds of things that he wants us to do. So whenever in my own life, um, I, I feel like God isn't as present as I would like him to be. I sit down and try to analyze what am I doing or failing to do that is, you know, making that relationship less than what I would like it to be. And I feel it works that way, you know, in all relationships in our life, not just with Heavenly Father. But, you know, when I'm having a hard time with my husband or with my kids, it's generally because I've made a choice. They've made a choice that is not putting that relationship as a main priority in our lives. So I think and I believe that if we want God to be the kind of have that kind of presence in our life that we all say we want, we have a responsibility to make sure that we're doing what we should so that he can be there. Thank you. That's a nice way to wrap the episode up. And just to finally um, conclude from this closing verse from Micah, it says, all people will walk in the way of their God, but we will walk in the way of our God. Uh, our God is a loving God. He has given us the way. He has given us the path that we are to follow. Of course, he reminds us that it's not going to be an easy one. You're always going to be second guessing. You're always going to be intimidated. You're always going to be persecuted for your choices of following me, but this is the right way. And so we ask that God gives us the strength and gives us the grace to continue on this way until the end of our lives. Thank you so much once again, Cheryl, for joining. This was so fun. This was amazing. Yes, thank you. I really enjoyed this discussion. It's once again, it enlightened me and that kind of helped get me a little bit back on the track again. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I hope to see you once again on another episode, hopefully. Yes, I would love to do that. All right, then. So with that, I'll bring this episode to an end. Thank you so much for listening this far. Please do not forget to share, leave a review and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't. And I hope that you have an amazing day.